0: everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's a podcast that's hosted by me, Kyle, and him, Robbie. You've made it. You've made it. You've made it to the end of Loki Rewatch Week. If you are here, you have now hopefully watched Thor Avengers, Thor 2, Thor 3, and now Infinity War and Endgame. And I might add, you have hopefully been listening to our podcast episodes and looking up comics on hipcomic.com. Wow. So now you are about as prepared as possible. So let's quickly talk a little bit about Loki, his role in Infinity War and Endgame. And then you'll almost be fully set, but not totally until you get to hear this Matthew Barry interview again. Because like we said, Matthew Barry is like the head honcho at ESPN when it comes to fantasy football. But he knew the Russos and got a connection to be in the movie of Avengers Endgame. He is actually the Hydra shield agent there that is wrestling over the Tesseract with Tony, the same Tesseract that Loki actually eventually takes. So what a better way to end our rewatch week than hearing from someone who was so pivotal in that scene right before loki takes off
2: right it's so cool and this is just one that this is a conversation that you had with with matthew a, a while back so I, a lot of our newer listeners may not have been aware that, that this was something we got to do or or have even heard much about this scene at all so i think this is going to be a really fun interview just in general but also yeah i mean what a perfect introduction to this loki series. I don't think that we could have really set that up better if we tried.
0: But before we get into that, let's talk about how Loki has such a brief time in Infinity War, but <laughs> man is it impactful. Yes. Like he only gets maybe 10 minutes, but I let me let me rewind even further. One of the things I remember loving the most about Ragnarok in that post-credit scene is Mm -hmm. just that feeling of dread. You remember that? All that happens is a ship, a shadow of a ship pulls over Loki and Thor's face and it gets dark. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, like it's finally happening. Like, and I still actually had to Google it because that's, again, I don't have comic history or whatever. So I had to Google like, is Mm -hmm. that Thanos' ship? Okay, sure enough, it is. And I just remember that feeling of dread. And my favorite thing about Infinity War is that from the very beginning coming after Ragnarok do you remember how aggressively they changed the tone i mean yeah. it starts in the most like haunting terrifying and like graphic way with thanos's legion of people walking through stabbing dead bodies to make sure mm-hmm. they're dead you know while give, yeah. giving a chilling speech and then we're introduced to Loki. It's just a well, crazy start, and it's kind of it's part of the reason why it's my number one film in the MCU.
2: It's it's it is such an incredible start. And also earlier this week, you know, we talked about the first Thor film that was directed by Kenneth Branagh. It's always fun to note that the voice of the Asgardian soldier there, um, whenever the the Marvel yes. card is coming across the screen. Um, that's saying you know this is a this is a civilian vessel. Um, that is Kenneth brana so he's he's making his reappearance there, which is a, another. It's it, it's a fun way of kind of paying um, homage to the the roots of this character here in the MCU. But you're right. I mean, like it's it's funny because. We've been re-releasing some of these other episodes because, like we said, it's we're not quite sure how much of a of a bearing these things will have on the show we're about to get. This right. one is 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 funny though because I mean Loki between Infinity War and Endgame shows up for what like seven minutes maybe. Yeah, uh, out of the entire movies, but 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 both scenes that we're about to talk about, I would say are pretty, especially this first one, are are hugely impactful and and really memorable. He is a huge part of that tone shift I'm talking about. I think you
0: needed him to get choked out in a brutal way to Mm -hmm. really put the emphasis on Thanos is not joking anymore. Like, literally, just think the context of Ragnarok being so lighthearted, you know, and ending on such a, like, okay, decent-feeling note.
2: Right. It's well, almost like Thor the directors are kind of were like in a good place now,
0: right? But it's almost like the directors like, okay, we need to show how brutal Thanos is, and that I I just loved that decision. Right. But in honestly, maybe the most morally faithful good act he's ever done, we finally get a Loki that tries to actually save Thor by using right. his mischief, right? But for good, kind of to try to stop Thanos. It obviously goes horribly awry, but it's just kind of a fun way to look at the end of his character arc because how far has he come since the beginning of this week, right? We talked about how he's pure evil. He's trying to kill Thor, Mm -hmm. and here we have him distinctly trying to save Thor. And I think one last thing I want to add is not that it, it, it comes from not only a place of he's grown as a character and he's healed some things with his family and Thor, but also... I think he understands, he's smart enough, how large the threat Thanos is. Like, in that moment, he's willing to submit, if you will, to a greater being, right? And it's like, in that moment of mischief, he realizes, like, this is my last-ditch effort to stop somebody who can cause
2: serious damage. That's so true. That's well said, Kyle. I, oh, thank I you. Think, I'm obsessed
0: with this movie. I mean, if I'm an expert <laughs> in anything, it's this movie.
2: That's well, it, that's such a great way of 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 just talking about his arc in general and you're right. This is such a it's such a kind of heartbreaking conclusion because it is the one time like uh, all of these times Loki's kind of looked out for himself primarily and managed to weasel out of all of these tight spots and you know Thanos references that. I mean, he's he's now been been thought dead and, and quote unquote resurrected, uh, twice. And so here, whenever he, you, you, you know, it's, it's really fun. And it's really in keeping with Loki, this whole scene, because you don't quite know. I mean, first you get the fun, we have a Hulk callback. Um, and so you feel like he's, he's sort of on our side, like we thought in Ragnarok. But then, then at the end, after like Thor and Hulk are kind of taken down, uh, you you don't know if he's going to just flip again like he's always done and actually go on on Team Thanos. Like I I think that there was a second where I thought, oh okay Loki like this that's what's about to happen. Like Loki's going to join the the Black Order here and head down to Earth and that's going to be which I thought would have been super cool and and you know a, it would have. Been, I think, still in character if it was kind of coming out of the same desperation. But instead, yeah, he makes that that choice there to try to take Thanos down uh, for no reason other than I think, I mean, the the it doesn't help him really. I mean, it's the greater good and it's for his brother. And I think that's the really sad part because Thor is watching it and Thor sees it happening in real time when he sees him like materialize the dagger. And Thor knows, it's almost like what's funny is in that moment, the way that Chris Hemsworth um, portrays Thor in this scene is so, it's so well done because you almost see him wanting Loki to do the wrong thing here because like Thor knows that like he can't, if he tries to be a hero, it's not going to end well because Loki's Loki doesn't realize quite, I think how truly outclassed he is. And I think Thor, it's, it's such a kind of role reversal even. Um, And Uh yeah. And, and doing the noble thing there uh, for the, the, for this one time. And it ends not only with him um, being killed, but in the most like inescapably brutal way.
0: This is very important. And so I know I've beaten this to death, but I think you have to remember this. Okay. What Robbie just said about, yeah. I think the reason they choke him out and like show his face go pale and then include like a neck crack, sorry to be graphic, mm-hmm. is because I think they're literally trying to show you like he he cannot come back from this. This is this is Thanos saying literally, there's no resurrections this time. Like it was such an intentional choice, and I understand that when he dies there, it is tragic. That's what you said. It's tragic, and it's just to keep to keep on the Shakespearean theme, it's a tragedy, mm-hmm. and. Right. This is what's so important though. We have to have those tragedies in storytelling. The whole nature, by nature, a tragedy is not something I like, right? Like I don't like that he died. If I'm a if I'm a Loki fan, it is really a tragedy that I don't get more Loki. And I don't get that, you know, he finally got this redemption with Thor, and now he doesn't get to live out a life with Thor, you know, in harmony. He doesn't ever get that. That's a tragedy. That sucks. But film and storytelling in general needs those things to be there. Otherwise, right. you don't ever feel the consequences. Like, do you really believe Thanos is that terrible if he can just survive that? If he can just survive the chokeout, how strong really is Thanos? I felt the same way with Vision, right? If, if Vision right. doesn't actually stay off the board, how do we actually really feel those consequences? But I get it. It sucks. It's a tragedy. I want Vision to be able to live a life with Wanda. Wanda has had the most tragic story of all time. It kills me, but that's the point of a tragedy, okay? Right. So that is why I am always hesitant about the the show Loki, right? It's like I'm so pumped to to see how they do it, but that's Mm -hmm. why from day one I've said, like, if you just undo his death, you got to be so careful. That's my point. And so, you know, I think they can get away with it because as we see in Endgame now, The one scene we get of Loki, again, is the 2012 Loki, Mm -hmm. kind of like what they did with Gamora, if you remember. And so they kind of get away with, okay, Gamora's back, but it's not the same Gamora that's fallen in love with Star-Lord. So there's more stories to be told, and like it's still a tragedy that you miss out on that history. But I think you're writing a really dangerous line there. So I'll get off Mm -hmm. my soapbox here, but I cannot wait for this show. You know that I've not been the biggest Loki fan, and so why I'm, I'm so excited for this show is hard to put into words. I don't know why. I am more anticipating this than I was Falcon and Winter Soldier. But again, just be very, very careful on how you handle Loki in the MCU, please, right. Kevin.
2: Right, no, I think that I, I, I share that apprehension. I also share the excitement that I think comes from, in some ways, even more than, than WandaVision, me just having no idea where this is going. Um like because WandaVision was a lot like that that is what made that so fun as I me mean, even from the earliest promos we were like what the heck. But the thing like we still knew that it was going to deal in some ways with like the aftermath of of what had happened to Wanda like what we've talked about. But you know, between all of the Disney Plus shows that we've gotten so far, I would say this is the one that I'm sort of most in the dark on, especially when it comes to what we're going to be walking away from this show with and how it may connect to Doctor Strange 2, which Loki is reportedly going to appear in. Um, I did want to say one one more thought that I had kind of after this this rewatch. I, I think it's it's really kind of crazy when you think about For all of the little kind of turns that the character has taken throughout this long saga, Loki has had massive, massive influence on the events of the Infinity Saga. Um, Like, if you like, we we talked about how really Loki is the one that brought the, the Avengers together. Uh, and that's in fitting with the comics. There's there's often, like, Loki was the first Avengers foe in the in the 60s comics. And so every now and then the comics will reference how really, like, Loki is the founder of the Avengers. And that's very much the case with the movies. But even more than that, something that I've I've realized lately uh, when we've gone back and watched these is we talk about how Taika sort of makes light of Loki assuming the throne there at the end. And how it ends up sort of, kind of underplaying the threat of that. But what I think is so genius about what Infinity War does is, without undoing what Taika did there, it does, it does deepen the impact of the end of Thor: The Dark World. Again, coming back to it always, um, because by de-seating Odin and and kind of banishing him, he leaves. Asgard essentially defenseless because, as we see in Ragnarok, Loki isn't really paying attention to anything that's going on. And we hear Thor talk about how there's sort of chaos in the Nine Realms, which then we find out later in Infinity War means that whenever Thanos comes knocking at Nedavalir, there's no one there to protect them like Asgard normally would have done under Odin's rule. And if Odin had been able to call Thor and like, who knows what would have happened. I'm not saying they could have stopped Thanos, but they would have had a chance before he got the gauntlet, you know? And so it is like this thing that seems kind of innocuous ends up having this big impact because had Loki not gotten up to those schemes, you might not have never gotten to this point in the first place where Thanos is now confronting us with uh, the infinity gauntlet and, you know obviously everything that comes from that
0: I remember you pointing that out in one of the episodes and I love that thought so much I've never thought about the repercussions of of Loki taking the throne there setting all of this on a path that you didn't want it to um because like you said it, it, it's kind of made flippant in the next one but yeah wow I love that so much
2: there's you're right there's a lot of um, there's a lot of tragedy at play. I mean, Infinity War is such a good film because it leans into that tragedy, while also, by the way, having some of the funniest lines um, here and like sprinkled throughout. But also, like, yeah, it, it just really embraces a lot of this stuff, exactly what you were just saying, in, in the way that it needs to. Um, and so, as we're talking about this sort of culmination of Loki's story and this, this, sort of delicate line that we've been talking about him walking through his whole mcu character arc the perfect mirror to that moment i think in in the comics is going to be the subject of today's hip comic robbie's recommended reading Uh, and this is the one that i think i've been the most excited to share with you guys Um, just like that that first thor comic by jms is in an era that I really love that that Bendis era. This comes in an era that I love just as much if not maybe even slightly more, which is the Hickman Avengers era. Um the comic that we're talking about today is is called Loki Agent of Asgard. It's written by Al Ewing, um art by Louis Garbett. I think that's right. Um and Al Ewing, you, you'll know from a host of things. Um, most famously, these days, he writes The Immortal Hulk, which is a kind of uh, critically lauded comic for good reason. But this is totally different tonally from that. It's a very funny comic. It's also a really trippy comic. It explores head-on, I mean, exactly what we've been getting into, where it even it, it, it goes straight into is Loki the god of mischief, is he the god of lies, is he the god of evil, is he by being those things locked into that, like does he even have a choice in what he does and how he behaves, or is because he is the god of mischief, is he just sort of forced to kind of carry through the same wheel, like again, like that conversation that Thor and Loki have at the end of Ragnarok, where he talks about it being the same thing round and round. Um, Ewing is just an incredible writer. Everything, like all the dialogue in this book kind of crackles. The art is, I I love that it's the same art the whole way through. Um, And it's just, it's a really fun kind of sci-fi trip of a book that explores the moral ambiguity of this character, which I think is really the strength of the modern incarnation. So if you started with that early Thor book, It sort of started out an arc that I think ends really nicely here, and we can talk later about some of the other books um, that follow and some of the other great stuff from this era. But as always, you can find this and all the books that we recommended this week if you go to hipcomic.com slash F-F-W, that's H-I-P-C-O-M-I-C, dot com slash FFW. And you can find this. I I believe that there's a complete collection out there in paperback. I think you can get uh, an omnibus, I'm pretty sure, or you can get all the single issues again. Um, And like we've said before, this is sort of the best of both worlds because you can right now pull out your phone and and order something from the convenience of your home. Uh, It'll be shipped to you except you also get to know that you're supporting um, some local comic book shops and some local sellers instead of some of those giant retailers. So go to hipcomic.com, check those comics out, let us know what you think and stay tuned for more fun recommended reading coming your way.
0: Man, that was a good pitch, Robbie. I might uh, have to end up getting into (laughs) comics a little bit here. What is it working? (laughs) Are you, are you getting me, you know, getting me going on it?
2: Knocking on the door. Um,
0: So Loki meets his tragic end in Infinity War, it's a moving piece, as we talked about. And then in Endgame, the Avengers are time-traveling back to 2012 in New York, where we see Loki struggle over the Tesseract and then disappear. And to hear more on that scene in particular, here is a clip from our conversation with Matthew Barry. All right, everybody. Our next guest is a critically acclaimed sports writer. He is a Sports Emmy Award winner. He is also the host of The Fantasy Show on ESPN and an author of a New York Times bestseller called Fantasy Life. All those things are amazing. None of those are the reasons why he's here today. Today we are talking to Matthew Berry because he was in Avengers Endgame. Matthew, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much how for are you? Me. I'm so good. So my first question is, you know, I saw you were at the premiere on Twitter and I texted you and said, wow, that must be so cool you get to see the movie, blah, blah, blah. But then I went to Endgame and I'm watching the movie, and there you are in it. I texted you afterwards. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were in the freaking movie. So, my first question is how much secrecy were you sworn to?
1: An insane amount. When you get there, so first off, you know, when they call you and tell you you're in it, they, you know, they immediately say, hey, like, got to be secret about it. And obviously, like, I'm, a, I'm super psyched about the opportunity, so I, I want to do everything. I want to be a good little boy. And then you get there, and they make you sign. You know, I can't even tell you how many NDAs I signed, right? So you sign a bunch of uh, NDAs, which is uh, non-disclosure agreements. And then, even then, they still haven't told me what I'm doing. They've <sighs> told me I'm a law enforcement agent. And then I get there and I find out I'm a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yes. right. So, I mean, that would be a secret. And then I still don't find out. And again, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. But spoilers ahead. Uh, so stop listening right now before you've seen it. But assuming you've seen it at this point. Even then, I still don't know. I mean, only, they only give me two pages of script. So I don't know you know, anything. And you have to understand the other piece of this. The other piece of this is that, uh, that at the time we filmed it, they filmed Infinity War and Endgame back-to-back over the course yeah. of a year in Atlanta. And just to give you an idea, in the MCU, in terms of where, where it was, the week I filmed it, I filmed it like I, it was a two-day shoot for me, so that the weekend before I had filmed it was the weekend that Thor Ragnarok had come open had opened.
0: Oh wow!
1: So I haven't seen, I, and I actually when I was on set, I hadn't even had, I hadn't had a chance to see Ragnarok yet. So I haven't seen Ragnarok yet.
0: So you don't and, even know the effects of Infinity War yet.
1: I don't know the effects of Fini- Infinity War yet. Ant Man and the Wasp haven't come out. I haven't seen Captain Marvel yet. So. And I certainly, I have no idea about, uh, infinity war. And, and so, so I get these two pages and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I get there, but the only thing that I know is obviously, okay, so I'm a shield agent. I, I figured that out because they give me a shield
0: badge <laughs> for those and listening, that, by the way, Matthew is the shield agent standing next to Robert Redford in the scene at the base of Avengers tower when Tony Stark And uh Thor are trying to escort the scepter on the way out, right? So that's where Matthew is. If you haven't seen it, look for him next time. Continue, sorry.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh Tony and Thor have the Tesseract in a briefcase. And so they are trying to get it out. And I walk and so I was gonna say before we even film the scene, so I don't even know Robert Redford's in it until he walks on set.
0: Oh gosh.
1: So that's my point is is that I'm telling you that like so I found out I'm a shield agent. I know that I'm in a scene with Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth. That's all I know. And then I get to the set, and they're like, they pull me over, and all of a sudden, holy crap, Alexander Pierce just walked in.
0: Oh, my gosh. So, so take us I through am- that day on set a little bit. What's that like for you?
1: It's surreal. I mean, I mean there's it's no way to describe it other than just like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, wait, wait a minute. I mean, because there's, there's one frame of the movie. I mean, it's a, it's actually a nice little scene, right? It's a nice long scene, but if if you there's literally one frame of this movie, at least one frame of this movie, where the only things on screen are Robert Downey Jr., Robert Redford, Chris Hemsworth, and me <laughs> nee.
0: and you. I love it so much. Do you have no, acting experience like- before this?
1: So some I mean, certainly not to the level of anyone in that scene, right? I mean, I'm like you know it's um <laughs> I love I mean, it mean it's it's like it's like playing an n b a game you ever played hoops before well, yes, <laughs> yeah, pick up with my kids in the backyard right so yes i mean i had i had done i've done some you know i did like a i've done a uh you know I, I played myself on an episode of the league, i did like a a couple episode arc on one life to live as a cameo i've I'd done a sketch comedy show for pop t v you know, I've done a couple of things here and there. Um, I've done another sitcom, uh, you know, uh, but nothing like this. And obviously I'm on, you know, with ESPN, I'm on TV every day, so I'm comfortable right. in front of a microphone. I'm comfortable in front of cameras. Right. But it's one thing to be like, you know, on the set of NFL Live and talking about who to start and sit. And it's another thing, acting in what you know is going to be one of the biggest movies of all time, next to legitimate icons.
0: Right, right. I, I
1: and mean, Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Redford are iconic, like they're American royalty. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, in right. No disrespect to Chris Hemsworth, who's also a, a massive star, but like, right. It, I mean, like, so it was just like I am, and I'm also a crazy MCU fan. So I'm like, I am freaking out. <laughs> both, I'm, I'm freaking out. I have three different things going on internally, right? Number one is is I'm just super nervous about like, oh, don't screw this up,
0: right? right. Don't
1: screw this up because if I if I look weird, if I'm if I'm creepy or whatever, or, I, or I'm just a bad actor, any of it, right? Robert Downey Jr. could easily, like, pull his assistant <laughs> aside, you know. Get Robert this guy, guy out of here. aside and say, like, um, you think we can do better than the fantasy guy here? You know, <laughs> right. all he has to do, he does not have to say that. Like, he just looks at me weird, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, listen, why don't you move more to the back? <laughs> yeah. So, so So I'm nervous about that. I'm nervous about just screwing up the scene, because I understand that, like, I I know enough about the MCU even though I haven't seen Infinity War yet or Ragnarok or any of those things haven't come out yet. I know enough about the about the the MCU obviously that this is a big freaking deal that Alexander Pierce is here. Right. You right. know this is clearly some sort of it's either a dream sequence or time travel. No doubt. It's one of the two things and I assume it is time travel because I I as I read the script I know what plays out. Like I know that I know that the end of the scene is um it ended up getting cut in the movie, but uh, there's there's a couple of lines at the end of the scene where we're all looking for Loki. Right, so It's like Loki, Loki.
0: Yeah, guy, yeah, right.
1: I, what we shot was and it didn't end up making the making the movie, but I'm just like you know you know you know I'm like find him, find him, out ah, you know, and I like I'm I'm telling everyone to run after Loki. Okay,
0: okay. You know,
1: and so we all spread out looking for Loki. So I know, so I know that Loki is taken off with a tesseract. And so, obviously, like, if um, it's obviously not a dream sequence, right? But you don't um, know that
0: he's technically dead yet, right? You don't right. know that. Okay, wow.
1: No, of course. No, you no, you don't know he's dead yet. No, right. I, 100% I don't know he's dead. Right, right. By the way, I'm still not convinced he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, man? yeah, right, right. <laughs> Every time you think Loki's dead, he shows back up. He
0: somehow figures it out. You know, I thought they so went, went out of their way out. this time to choke him out and really show you, hey, he's dead. But then here right. he is again, so you never know, but. You Keep never going,
1: know. It, it, he's probably dead, but um, uh, you never know. It'll be interesting to see what the uh, the Disney Plus uh, show with him. Uh, you know yeah, no uh, how that how that addresses that if it goes back in time or whatever.
0: So when um, you're on set with those icons, yeah, were they as gracious off screen as they seem to be on screen? Unbelievable! Really? Couldn't
1: have been. Couldn't have been better. Look, and they were. Listen, Hemsworth was awesome. Redford was awesome. Robert Downey Jr. Is a beautiful, beautiful human being. And I mean that oh. with no disrespect to Hemsworth or Redford, who were who couldn't have been lovelier. Couldn't have been more supportive or welcoming. I mean, like, you're Robert Redford, right? I mean, you're, you know, you're an Oscar winner. You're an icon. I mean, you're like, right. you're literally American royalty, and like, here comes some, you know, and he couldn't have been more gracious. But Robert Downey Jr., I cannot say enough good things about him as just a human being. Really? I, I mean, so. I, I wrote about this, so I, I wrote about the whole experience, and if you want, if you just search, like, Matthew Berry, love, hate, Avengers, Endgame, okay. uh, an article will come up. So I wrote a whole article in August on ESPN.com about this whole experience. So um, you can read more details about that if you want. But, you know, I'm super nervous, right? So right. I'm, like I said, uh, the three things are going on. I'm nervous about screwing it up. I'm nervous about, you know, just like I'm nervous about doing a good job. I'm nervous about being around these... Massive icons, and I'm nervous about like I'm fanboying out, right? Because it's like, oh my god, you know. I mean, like, right. I'm standing in the I'm standing <laughs> at the lobby of Stark Tower. Like they don't even tell me that, right? Right. Like I mean, like they're just like, oh, we're gonna go to set, and I walk up to set, and I'm like, this is Stark Tower. <laughs> like like so um, i would be so giddy right I, I mean it it's it's total fanboy right, right so i'm no like doubt. i'm holy crap i'm wearing a shield badge i'm in the i'm in the lobby of Stark Tower and i'm standing next to you know thor tony stark and alexander pierce right on you know if you from a fanboy standpoint and right. like oh oh and there's loki all right. I, I mean you know so <laughs> and because it's like again if you've seen the movie like it's all they're all dressed as if they were in avengers so it's all familiar to me, right? I'm like, right. oh, wow. Like, so, I mean, like Thor's in his long hair. Right. right? There's he some visual cues from for Magirock. sure. Yeah. Right. So it's all, I mean, you know, and, and, and Tony's in the, uh, the Stone Temple Pilots t-shirt and all of it. Right. I think it's a Stone Temple Pilots t-shirt hmm. that he's wearing. It's a, it's a black t-shirt. Yep. And, um, anyway, everyone looks like they looked like at the end of Avengers. Right. And so, um, you know, all of it is just so surreal and, yeah, and so anyway, I'm super quiet. I'm super quiet. And then at one point, they were having trouble with the struggle for the, the briefcase.
0: Yeah, right, right, a, right.
1: You, There's a moment there where there's a struggle over the briefcase, and then that's when, you know, Tony calls for Ant-Man, and Ant-Man, you know, ducks in there and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know
0: pulls that plug or whatever. Pulls the yes. plug or
1: whatever to start the fake heart attack. Right. And so the question was, is like, like well, all right, it, you know. Does Robert Redford? You know, Robert Redford's not going to reach for the reach for the briefcase. You know, he's he's the you know. And Tony doesn't want to play it off because why would he be hiding the briefcase? Because you know he's got a. In theory, you know, Alexander—they're all on the same side for Shield. The event, oh right, Winston yeah. Soldier haven't happened yet. So as far as Tony knows, Alexander Pierce is a Sam Jackson's dude. boss and is a good guy. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's all these things going on, and it it seems like a very small moment, but we were struggling with what to do with a case in terms of – and the way we were doing it when we were in rehearsal just didn't seem to work. It just wasn't – you know, people just didn't feel like it it felt real enough. It it either felt too fake or it just um, – there was – the tension wasn't enough there. And so we're trying different things, and Tony was trying – Robert was trying different things with the suitcase, and we tried different things, and we tried putting it down. And anyway, there were all these different things, and so everyone's doing suggestions, and I'm saying nothing.
0: Right, right. And
1: then eventually, eventually I got up my courage after like three or four things. We tried three or four things, and none of them worked. No one's happy. And I'm just like, "Uh, excuse me. (laughs) And like everyone stops
0: talking. (laughs) Oh, no.
1: And they all look at me. I'm like, Oh God.
0: <laughs> and,
1: but Robert Downey Jr. This this I tell this story just again to show you just sort of how gracious he is. Remember Robert Downey Jr. has met me an hour previously right, and right. he doesn't know who the hell I am. I don't think he does at least. Right. Um, and if he does, he either doesn't know who the hell I am, or if he does know who that, who I am, he knows I'm not a professional actor.
0: It's a totally different context if he knows. Yeah.
1: Right. But Robert Downey Jr. goes, turns to me and very genuinely goes, please, you have an idea. Very genuinely interested in what I have to say.
0: Chills right and now. And so obviously
1: once Downey does that, everyone, you know, takes what I'm about to say seriously. Right. And I just said, like, would it help you if I'm just sort of more aggressive? If I'm, like, what if I'm, as opposed to, like, kind of this calm security guard, maybe I'm just, like, a, a little trigger-happy security guard, and I start just grabbing at it. You know what I mean? Like, And I'm right. just hand over the case, dark. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm a little pushy
0: and that's your just, line. <laughs> that's my line.
1: And so that Robert was, Robert was like, I love that. Yes. And he's just like, if you do that, then that helps me put the case over to the other arm. And like, it just, you know, it helped. He felt it helped motivate him. And anyway, so we did it that way. And that's obviously what ended up staying in the movie. That's it's so cool. Small, yeah. But it's a very small moment, but, um, it helps sort of ramp up the action. And I think it helps motivate, you know, sort of the, the chaos of that scene. And like, he's, he's, you know, he's, what does he say? Like, come on, Tic Tac, let's go, let's go, you know? Right. Right. And, um, so it ramps it all up. And, and then the other thing that was amazing was we break for lunch and we're breaking for lunch and somebody comes up to me, an assistant director and says, Hey, excuse me, Matthew. And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, if you
0: would like, you're welcome to join Mr. Downey for lunch. Oh gosh. Right. (laughs) Just him or the whole cast?
1: So I've, apparently this is a known thing. I I wasn't aware of it, but there's this little thing called Camp Downey, and so I went there. And so he had a kind of a private area, and he has a like there's a chef and everything. And and so it was um, unbelievable. Uh, I I think different people come through the the lunch, but the day I did it both days, I was invited both days. And the day the first day there was it was Robert Redford and his producing partner okay. Chris Hemsworth, uh, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Joe and Anthony Russo, the directors. Uh, Robert Downey, obviously, and his producing partner, a guy named Jimmy Rich, and uh, I think that was it.
0: I mean, and that's think, so kind of, I mean, they don't have to do that, right? I mean, 100% they don't have to.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, so incredibly gracious, and so, like, I, you know, I, I, and at lunch, I sat next to, the way it just ended up working out, I sat across from Robert Downey Jr. and next to Robert Redford. Oh, man. And I just was a fly on the wall as those two talked. I mean, it was like, I won't share any other conversation, obviously, because that was private in between them. But, like, it was fascinating yeah. just to hear those two guys talk shop for an hour.
0: No, our audience is freaking out right now thinking about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it will you know top five moment of my life that I'll never forget.
0: Like, we we talk a lot on this uh, podcast about how much of these movies are actually improv'd and you kind of bring it up that you're trying different things with the case kind of reminds me of that. Is there anything else in that scene that was actually improv'd like that? Yeah. I mean, I think
1: so a few things. I mean, I think, you know, Robert tried a couple of different lines. Um, we tried different things, but yes, there was the one big thing was, so we did the, after the fake heart attack. So, cause you know, Ant-Man was added in later. As was um, as was uh, Hulk and the CGI, right? Ruffalo shot some stuff, but that was at, at what right, I was. Day. What I was on set for was the um, was what you see me on set for, right? Was just right, the right. confrontation uh, between me, me, Redford, uh, Thor, and Tony, and so. So at one point, then he goes down to the. Um, he goes to, when he goes down to the ground. We all go down with him. And we're like, Tony, you know, stay with us, Tony, stay with us. Right. 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 And, and the whole thing. And we did a bunch of different takes of that. And like, we're calling over medics and we're doing different things. And then at one point I turned to Thor and I'm like, isn't your hammer magic or something? Hit him, do something. (laughs) And so he does it. Uh, They liked that. They thought that was funny. And so we did that again. And like, I think the note was like, Hey, try to get to that line quicker. And so we did that again. And it was, uh, it worked out. And, In the movie, obviously, they cut my line, my suggesting that, but that moment wasn't scripted at all, that Thor uses his hammer to help revive Tony. That's Um, such a fun
0: moment to be a part of, though. So you kind of helped suggest the little Thor shock, if you will.
1: Yeah, no, that is is definitely my idea. That one was my idea, just sort of an ad lib, and there's a a couple things about that. So first off, I think they made completely the right call to cut my line about that, because from a movie making standpoint, much better for Thor, the superhero, to have the idea than you know some random shield agent to bring it up. Right, no doubt. Right, so it's it's just a better moment if Thor just does it on his own. So I was very proud about that because that moment definitely was not in the script.
0: Yeah, that's a claim to fame right there. Yeah. Um,
1: so thanks. Yeah, I mean I, I was very pleased when I saw that in there. But the thing of it is, is when you talk about sort of the and it's the only movie set I've been on. Uh, but from what I understand, that first off, because of the way Robert Downey Jr his process is he likes to have fun and, you know, having spent two days with him on set, I can see, you know, he's, he's very loose and, you know, uh, gets along great with the crew and the directors. And also I have to give it a lot of credit to Joe and Anthony Russo and the kinds of sets that they run. They're so calm and cool and collected. And they're so collaborative and like, just, you know, good idea can come from anywhere. Like there's no kind of you know, cast system or anything like that. We're like, oh, no, sorry, you're you're too low to suggest anything. Like they take ideas from everyone and they really build kind of a family atmosphere. And so because it's sort of a sort of a loose, fun atmosphere um, uh, and a relaxed atmosphere and one that, you know, sort of embraces and celebrates creativity, people feel comfortable. I mean, think right. about it. Like, so I'm a guy there, like I'm not a real actor and I'm, um you know, I'm not a real actor and PS for how much sad. you keep saying
0: that, I did think you did a great job with what part you had. You do look the part for sure.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Listen, I mean I'm I listen, I'm comfortable on camera and credit Joe Russo. I mean, how this came about is that you know, Joe and I are friends. We're friends through fantasy. Football.
0: Oh, okay. That was my next and, question. How did it even happen?
1: And Joe called me one day and said, Listen, I got the uh, you know, if you want to do the movie, I got a part that I think you're perfect for. Oh my. And so,
0: what a fun so phone that, call!
1: <laughs> it, it did work out, and the point I was making was is that me, dumb little me, felt so comfortable on the set that even I was willing to sort of throw it out an ad lib to see if it stuck, and it obviously, you know, created a moment that made the movie. And so, uh, so there is that. All that said about the ad libbing, I will say that Marcus and McFeely, the guys who, oh trip, yes, did such an amazing job, and it's because their structure and story is so good and so airtight, it's that you can find those little moments to ad-lib because you're not going to throw anything off because the through line is so strong. So, I mean, I, I don't want to... Yeah. I just think it's very important. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a writer first, so I always, always got to give credit to the writing, and uh, I don't think people appreciate what an incredible feat Marcus and McFeely pulled off with a script to Avengers Endgame to wrap up all the various storylines to keep... 30 some odd characters alive and present oh, you know, gosh. Um, and, and be surprising. Right. So, I mean, whether it's, whether it's fat Thor or the, the, you know, banner Hulk mold, uh, you know, kind of yeah. or, yeah. you know, Tony being the one to make the ultimate sacrifice and, and captain America being a little selfish. Like it's, I mean, you know, anyway, they see
0: what you just... don't realize is that we have talked so much about those writers on this podcast already because we're going back and re uh, watching all these films, and they've written so many of them. And we sure. are so obsessed with those guys as writers. We constantly refer to the movies that they write just are better, I think. So I yeah. love that you brought that up so much.
1: they're great. Look, and, you know, they wrote Winter Soldier, which is my. After, you know, listen, obviously, Endgame is my favorite MCU movie. It's the one I'm in. Um, but after uh, Endgame, Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie. Yep. Uh, that's definitely a, a top, top piece tier piece of filmmaking.
0: Oh, no doubt.
1: One question I didn't actually answer for you was in terms of the secrecy was, so not only was I under tons of NDAs, and I couldn't say anything about being on the set. Like, less than 10 people at ESPN knew, and they knew because I, oh had, my. To, I had to take off work to go.
0: Oh, wow. My kids okay.
1: didn't know. I didn't tell my kids. My wife knew. But I didn't even tell my wife that Robert Redford was in the scene, because when I get there, <laughs> after I do the scene with Redford, I had to sign additional NDAs. And they're like, listen, this is like it's what people know we're doing the movie and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're doing some scenes outside. So there's going to be some, you know, spoilers. People are out there taking pictures and it winds up on the Internet. But whatever you do, don't No one can know about Redford.
0: Well that would be so revealing. So, that would mess up so much of the yeah, at the time. Yeah, And we
1: it. did some stuff and you if you want us to look for this on YouTube, you can find it. While we were on set, they were, you know, again, just showing the graciousness of uh, Joe and Anthony Russo and, and Robert Downey Jr. like we shot some stuff for ESPN. So like I did an Avengers fantasy draft with uh with RDJ oh, yes. I've and seen that. the Russo brothers. Yeah, So that's on that's up on YouTube. I would check that out. That's really fun. Uh and then I did I I did a little sketch with uh with me and Anthony and Joe Russo where I'm, I'm trying to find out the future of my character in the MCU. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, so both those things are up on, on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, you can search for them, you know, Matthew Berry, um, you know, Russo brothers. Uh, but, uh, what I was going to say is, is like, we couldn't release those until Disney wouldn't let us release those until a few weeks after the movie had come out.
0: How's yeah, that? So, like, that's you know, years no story, like. like later.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. And we, um, in addition, like you texted me and I just said, you know, we were going back and forth and just saying how much I enjoyed the movie, but I wasn't allowed to publicly acknowledge this is how crazy it was because they just were, they're so fearful of spoilers. They're like, look, you're a, you're a cameo. You're a surprise for the people that are going to recognize you. And we want no spoilers. So you can't even publicly acknowledge that you're in the movie until the Tuesday after it opened. So, oh so the thir- it opens Thursday night, and in fact, there's even some press screenings. There's press screenings on Tuesday. Uh, Thursday night is when the movie premieres, and I'm getting people tweeting at me.
0: Saying, yeah, like, like me. Oh,
1: my God, is that you in Endgame? Wow, I can't believe you. Hand over the case, Stark, and they're you know, doing all these things, and I can't respond to any of them.
0: Even I though it's out already. <laughs> I love that.
1: Which I get, though, because somebody that hadn't seen the movie... You know, and I would see somebody would tweet at me like, wow, I can't believe you're an Endgame. And then other people would react to them saying like, dude, spoilers, come on.
0: And hit Lashawn Le yeah. McCoy. <laughs>
1: right. Stupid Lashawn McCoy. So, uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, I remember, I, I have to tell you, I was so pleased when you, when you texted me. And it's, it's, it's been so wonderful people recognizing me in the movie because, look, there's a lot going on in that scene. You know, I'm next to Robert Redford, which is a surprise in itself. And there's obviously there's, you know, the Tesseract and Ant-Man and the Hulk coming through. And like, there's, there's a lot going on in that scene. And so if you wouldn't notice me, if you don't notice me, I totally would get why you wouldn't. I mean, you know, I have four lines in that scene, but only one of them is actually on camera. Yes.
0: Well, Matthew, thank you so much for doing this. We all thought you did an amazing job in Endgame and... I will be reading and watching your fantasy stuff this year. I'm always following it, just FYI. Taking your advice, your love-hate list. Love it. We'll be watching all season. Thanks for taking the time.
1: My pleasure. And you know what? It's Disney Plus Day today that we're taking. It, it is. Kyle. So, people, what you can do is you can, you, can, uh, you can get the bundle. You know, for like 12 bucks a month, you get Disney Plus, you get Hulu, and you get ESPN Plus.
0: I myself so have watch it.
1: You'll be able to watch Avengers Endgame on Disney Plus. Yep, and then you can come over and watch the fantasy show on ESPN Plus. So uh,
0: I'm a it's a great man. deal.
1: It is a great deal,
0: especially if you're listening to this podcast. That's the best way to get any of these movies and this fantasy content. So amazing,
1: Kyle. I appreciate you, my friend.
0: Thank you very much, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Take care and help yeah. no Hydra. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you.
2: Wow. Every time I listen to that conversation, uh, I enjoy it more. Matthew is is another one of these guys that's just such a pleasure. And I'm still jealous that I wasn't able to sit in on that one. But that's what happens when uh, you live in France for six months. Uh, Which is to say, if you listen to that little clip and you want a little bit more, you should go back through our feed into season one and listen to the full interview there with Matthew. Uh, He gets into all sorts of stuff that I think you'll find really interesting. As always, thanks so much for joining us uh, and for supporting us as you guys do. Uh, you can find us on social media at the FFW Podcast. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. You can also find us on the FFWPodcast.com where you can find our full rewatch order, including the episodes that correspond to the films. There's also a way there to contact us if you're not on social media and want to send us a question or some feedback. And now, more recently, you're able to buy Friends From Work merchandise. We have our first ever Friends From Work t-shirt available. That's at the slash shop if you want to give that a look. We promise they are super soft, which is kind of all you can ask for in a t-shirt. And they look pretty cool. So grab one of those while you can. Um, supplies are limited, so we urge you guys to jump on that. And then finally, um, if you haven't already, we always ask that you uh, subscribe or follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can, you guys have been so great about this, and it means the world to us. If you can rate and review um, over on, on Apple Podcasts, that helps us out so much. It's sort of hard to to overemphasize that um, because it, it really is a great way for us to get more visibility, and, and that's a way of kind of bringing more people into this community, which is always really fun. So if you have a moment and you haven't yet, head over there and rate, review, and subscribe. And like we said, this is this is it. Uh, this is the end of our of our march through getting ready for Loki. So that means next week on Thursday, remember, because Marvel decided to change things up on us a little bit, bunch of tricksters over there like loki um and have the show come out on wednesday our main episodes are now going to be coming out on thursday for the duration of this show that said we do have something kind of fun coming up next week that we can't quite talk about yet but that we're excited to share with you and that means that we probably won't have a monday episode for you but i'm pretty sure we're gonna have a tuesday episode for you and we think it's gonna be something that you're not going to want to miss So have a great weekend, go and check out these comics, and we will see you right back here next week on Friends From Work.